and as we turn to the Word of God, we're going to be going through a series in Jonah. We're going to be reading from chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, and it's only got two points with a sub-point in the sermon. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Interestingly enough, if you want to follow along during the week, if you will go and find the book called Rediscovering Jonah by Tim Keller. Tim Keller just went to be with the Lord at 72. Uh, you may have heard that. He's uh, a powerful person, uh, challenged in many ways to reach the culture he was in in New York City. I couldn't imagine ministering in New York City. And that's where he was able to be used by God to found a, a church called Redeemer and, and become a part of a movement of planting churches. And I want you to know, you need to start praying for that for our denomination, that we will begin planting churches. Aren't there enough churches? No. No. There aren't. In fact, this church should be thinking about planting a church in the next five years. Why? Because when you plant a church, you begin to reach people who won't come to your church for various reasons. Would you stand with me and let us hear the word of God as we turn in Jonah chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. We pick up with the story as we heard the first part of Chapter one, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 read, last week, we hear these words this morning. And all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. Notice the small g. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship, but Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe, maybe he will take notice of, of us so that we will not perish. This is the word of God. Mm, amen. You may be seated. By the way, uh, if you're sitting by someone, lean over and say, wake up, would you? Uh, it's really a call to wake up as we read the book of Jonah because Jonah was a reluctant prophet. Have you ever been reluctant? Have you ever been asked to do something you didn't want to do? Well, you, we found out last week that Jonah was being called to go and preach to a people who are sinning against God. Uh, we, we are, dare I say it, we are, so, so, we are so righteous in our own faith, we don't rub shoulders with sinners anymore, do we? And what if God told you to go down to the ABC store? We call it a red dot store in South Carolina, an ABC store, and stand there with a track and, and hand out a track about inviting people to Christ. Would you, would you be willing to do that? I, I, you know, that would be uncomfortable, wouldn't it? When I read Jonah, that's the kind of thing I hear God asking Jonah to do. Go to Nineveh. And tell them to repent. Now, don't go there and, there and tell them, hey, God loves you. God has warm fuzzies for you. He tells Jonah to go to a city in Assyria or what would be modern-day Iraq and tell those people if they don't repent, they're going to perish. Would you do that? Well, I, I, I don't want to be offensive, you might say to yourself. What about offending God? You know, we're, we're in a conversation in our culture where no longer is God thought about as far as whether he is offended. 
And it's something the church has fallen into because we're no longer worried about the reputation of Christ. We're worried about our own reputation. We become reluctant like the prophet Jonah. Well, this morning I want to very quickly, and I do mean quickly, go through this because we begin to ask ourselves, well, why are we studying this particular passage? Well, Tim Keller says this is the way the world is able to look at the church. What do you mean? Well, the world looks at you. And they look at you and ask themselves, is this Jesus business really true? Does Jesus really make that much of a difference in their life, in your life? And many times they, they have reserved judgment. So as we look at this, one of the things Jonah, uh, the book of Jonah leads us through is, is a look at how, how the world looks at the church by looking at this passage and how Jonah looked at the world, how Jonah represented Christ. Please notice that in the passages we see in the first half of the entire book of Jonah that Jonah is the reluctant prophet who does exactly the opposite of what he should do. And everyone he encounters actually is trying to figure out what they should do in light of their circumstances. In other words, if you were, if you were having a lump in your body and you went to a doctor and he said, I, I'm sorry, I can't see you for, for a couple of months. Oh, that, that's going on right now. I, I, I can't see you for a couple of, of months, and, and more importantly, don't worry about it. It's probably nothing. Would you be satisfied? No. Well, we are given this story where a storm comes up, and these sailors know they're in trouble. Because it's not just any ordinary storm. It is a storm that is unusual to those who have made their living being on boats on the sea. When you think about this theme, and we begin to dig into the book of Jonah, one of the things that I want you to remember is the Bible was not written for you. It was written to reveal God. The Bible is about God. And so as we read God's word, what we're really discovering is who God is. And one of the things that really is quite amazing about the book of Jonah is Jonah reveals to us that God, now get this, hear this, you who love his kingdom, Lord, that God cares how we relate how we relate to and treat people who are differently, who are decidedly different, deeply different from us. Let that sink in for a moment. God cares. God cares how you and I relate and treat other people who are deeply different from me. And so when God asked Jonah to go to a people who were deeply different from him, who were not godly, who were living out a life in total opposition to everything he believed to be right and true, what does he do? He runs in the opposite direction. And if you ever run from God, one of the things that's interesting is that wherever you choose to run from obeying God, God will let you end up exactly where you need to be to learn how to obey him. Remember, I was on a, a, a trip with 
some people doing a renewal in a church years ago. And I grew up in a culture where racism was, was an issue, and, and there was not a lot of, of cross-cultural race relationships growing up. And so as we were going to this particular renewal, there were three churches, and one was Asian, and one was African-American, and one was Caucasian. And we were told that we were going to be split up into three groups. Guess what I began to pray? God. Please put me in the white church. Guess where he put me? In the African American. I would have never thought of myself as being a racist or having any kind of separation from other people, but it was awkward. Why? It wasn't race, it was culture. I felt the same way when I was when I was visiting my family, my cousins out in in, in Washington State, Seattle, Washington. After being with them for about a week, I was convinced that I was adopted. I could not have the same genes that they had. Okay? Some of you have family like that too. And the question is, not the color of someone's skin, but the fact that you have a hard time loving them. God really, really cares how you relate to people who are deeply different than you. And so as Jonah is running from God and running from the call, he runs smack dab into the lap of people who are exactly like the people of Nineveh, the sailors on the boat. And the most amazing thing happens, we learn three things. We learn three things about God and his expectation of those who love him. That they, they seek the common good that they recognize common grace, and finally, that they understand who really is their neighbor. Those are the three things that God wants us to understand about who he is and what he desires for us. Let's take the first one. The first one is seeking common good. What do I mean by that? Well, if you will notice that, that when he ran to the boat, got on the boat, Jonah went below deck and fell asleep. And the interesting thing is the Hebrew word there speaks about a kind of sleep that is almost like a depression. You know, you know that one out of six Americans struggle with depression now? Do you know that? And so the depression he had was, was from various reasons. It could have been because he was disobeying God and he knew he was out of accord with God's will. That could cause depression. It could be that he, he recognized that he was not living up to what he had for his own expectations, much less God. That can cause depression. And, and the most amazing thing is the depression, the stupor he had was so great, it, it, it's akin to those moments when we just have so much trouble in our life, we just want us to go to sleep. Sleep is an escape from the problem. That's where Jonah was. And as he was escaping the problem of having to be confronted by God to go and talk to a people about God who he never wanted to see in the beginning, he runs smack dab into the ship of a people who are like the very people he's running from. And the most amazing thing happens when the storm comes up, the, so the sailors who are there on the boat, they recognize the danger they, they are in. Where is Jonah? He's asleep. They're both in the same boat. They recognize the danger. He doesn't. Now, if that's not an oxymoron, nothing is. Because if they perish, guess who else perishes? Jonah. 
And the most amazing thing happens. He is literally unaware of what really affects him. That's what's happening in our culture today. The church, the church is, is at a point where either we compromise with what is, what is unrighteousness or we, abs- we include it. We hug on to the righteousness of God and what he's done for us. And by doing so, we distinctly recognize that it is hard to be a faithful follower of Christ in our day because people, people won't think of you in glowing terms. And yet... I talked to a woman across the street from us who is not a Christian, at least as far as I know she's not. And we were talking about what's happening in our day and what's going on in our culture. And we were talking about how in her convictions, if the government just did this and took care of that, if people did this and took care of that, then our problems would be solved. And I said, You're, that's not going to solve our problems because even if you elected the right person, it would not take away what's happening in people's lives. I said, what we're dealing with is a spiritual problem. People are living without God. And she was like, no, 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 that's just not true, not true. And then toward the end of the conversation, she finally looked at me and she said, you know, we really are in a bad place, aren't we? How can that be? The whole culture we we live in today, no matter where you go, everyone acknowledges we are in a bad place. And just like the sailors on the boat, everyone is praying to their own God, small g. And they're looking to their own God for their own solutions. And they're trying to figure it out. And, and the most amazing thing is they are keenly aware. The people around you now are keenly aware there's a spiritual problem. But Jonah's asleep in the bow of the boat because he's running from God. He's a reluctant prophet. He's the one with the answers but he's reluctant to go and tell anyone. You know, God cares more for the one sheep that strays from the fold than the 99 that are in the fold. That's who God is. And so the first thing that Jonah teaches me is that the people who are not here in this place, the people who are not here singing and praying with us, God's heart is yearning for them. He is wanting them to know him. And the most amazing thing is when people don't know the living God, they are acutely aware that they they are looking for him. They don't know who he is, but they want to know. That leads to that second thing, and that is the recognition of common grace. And you say, well, common grace, what is that? Well, interestingly enough, we oftentimes short sell God in the belief that if we don't come and tell people about God, then God can't work. If we don't interject ourselves and make people conform to what we believe, then somehow God is not going to be working in people's lives. And that in itself is a lie because our God is at work everywhere, in every place, at every time. The most amazing part about Jonah's story is that he recognizes that more than anything else, God is still working today, as it was in Jonah's day, to prepare people to hear God's message. But unfortunately, Jonah was not even aware that it was a great time to preach. 
in the midst of the storm. And yet, so often, the people who are searching for God because of God's common grace recognize in their lives that God is at work. What do I mean by that? Do you know the person Elton John? Do you know him? Ah, he is just a wonderful singer. He really is. There's not a song that, that he, you can hear on the radio that he has not done or played or, or, or produced that people don't know throughout the world. And yet the most amazing thing is when you think of Elton John, when you look in his life, he has given millions of dollars to help people throughout the world. Millions. And it's amazing how many lives have been touched. How many people have been helped. Because he has this sense of God's common grace that there are people hurting and I should help them. The sailors were that way. They didn't just care about themselves. They even cared about Jonah who was asleep in the boat. And they did everything they could, including throwing their cargo, their valuable cargo, cargo that probably would have fed them, or at least the profits from the cargo would have fed them for another year. They threw them overboard in order to save others. Where was Jonah? He was asleep in the boat. So, well, Robert, what does this have to do with anything concerning Jesus? Well, James tells us in chapter 2, verse 14, What good is your faith, brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? I believe in Jesus, but he doesn't do anything to help others to know God, to experience the love of God. James goes on and says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace and be warm and filled without giving them the things they need for their body, what good is that faith? You hear it? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That is exactly the way the world is. It's exactly the way Elton John is. He has the works, but he doesn't have the faith. It's one of those things that Jesus taught in, in Luke chapter 10. I, I don't know if you, you've read that lately, but it's the the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan. It starts out in verse 25 with this. It says, On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Isn't that a good question? What must I do to be forgiven? What must I do to be able to go into heaven when I die? What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus repl replied, what is written in the law? How do you read? 
And that man answered, love the Lord the God, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he went on and said, and who is my neighbor? Ah, there's the third point. Who is my neighbor? Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and led him. And when he went away and leaving them half for dead, and a priest happened by to go going down that same road. And when he saw the man, he passed him on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place he saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, a half-breed, a half-Jew, half-Gentile, was traveling the road and he came and had pity on the man and took him into the next town and he paid for all his medical expenses and said, if he's gotten any other bills more than this, when I come back, I will repay you. What is the point? It's the point that simply Jesus is teaching and you see it in Jonah. Jonah is teaching us about how God loves people so much that our love for them should outshine our judgmental attitudes about them. That no one should ever see a Christian being condescending to anyone for any reason, for any excuse. Now, we, we know this, don't we? That's common grace. The question is, how do we put it into action? Well, let me tell you, you never will be able to do that. You will never be able to do that. You will always be reluctant to share your faith to reach out to people who need the love of God. You will always be reluctant until Christ does something in your heart to allow you to see that you were just as destitute, just as helpless, just as lost as the people who you are seeing and judging as somehow separated from God. Isn't that powerful? I don't want to hear this. I would rather put on nice clothes and come to church and, and love each other. I was in a restaurant. Mm, gosh, I was in a restaurant just this past week. I, I don't know about you, but I've noticed that at the beach, things are always different. It gets real kind of sticky. You notice that? Everything's just sticky. And so we went into this restaurant, and, and I was ordering some eggs and, and bacon and, and some other things I probably shouldn't have been eating, but was really going to enjoy it. And, and I, I said, please pass the pepper and the salt, and they, they passed me the pepper and the salt, and I picked up the salt shaker, and I was going to shake it on my food, and I suddenly looked in there, and it looked like it had, well, I hate to say it, I thought there were maggots at first. I mean, there were these white things in there. They were larger than the... Than the, the the salt, and I thought, gross, what is that? And I went to the, uh, the waitress and said, um, I'm sorry, something's wrong with this salt. <laughs> and she looked at me and she said, there's nothing wrong with the salt. And I said, it's got these white things in there, and they're not salt. She said, oh, no, that's rice. Did y'all know about this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, South Carolina. <laughs> and she said, that's rice. And I said, why in God's name would you put rice in salt she said to absorb the moisture because the salt will clump together 
And I said, wow, who invented that? I mean, usually you have to take the salt shaker and beat it a couple of times, don't you? Right? Well, you know, that's exactly how God wants you to think about your life. You're no good here to God. This is like being in the salt shaker. What we're preparing for while we're here is to be out there being salt and light for people who would never come here. Do you, do you hear this? So what you learn here about God, God wants you to understand this is what I care about. Now go out and make a difference in other people's lives. Why would we do that? Because that's what God did for you. He came into your dark life and he washed and cleansed you. Remember what we read in the Westminster Confession, what is justification? There was nothing we did to earn our forgiveness. God gave us freely when we came to him and said, God, I've blown it. I'm just, I'm so vile. And he washed us and cleansed us so that you would stop and remember that's why you're here for the other people. I wish I would have known this 30 years ago. It's still not too late. Maybe that's why God has still given you breath of life. It's not too late. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and our Father, who can live up to your law? No one. Who can keep the law and keep it perfectly? No one. We, we can testify over and over again that, that the truth is that we are beggars who found bread and, and you simply ask us to tell others where they can feast upon the give forgiveness of God. Father, there are people who are trapped right now in a sexual bondage and they are so trapped in that horrible vice that they are going to destroy their lives and the only reason we can say that is not because we're good people it's because we were there too we did the same things we were vile in our affections there are people who are thinking they have gods that are idols and they are worshiping those idols to the place that they are absorbed in making money and they want so much money because they believe their security is tied to how much value they have in the bank and it's going to destroy them because they will spend all their time pursuing money to the end that they will lose their children, their, their spouse, their friends, maybe even their business. I think of a, a young man who I grew up with and who was in a fraternity with me who fell into that kind of idolatry and he became a lawyer and he embezzled money from his clients all because of an idol in his life. I'm so grateful that Jesus, you loved him so much 
just like you loved me. There may be someone else in our minds that we're thinking about today. Someone in our family who is far from the grace of God and and we just want to go and tell them about Jesus and tell them to repent and and get back right with God. And that's, that's, that's the message, but it's got to be done in love. Because honestly, the people who are in that vice are like those sailors on the ship. They, they know they're in trouble. And they're looking for the right God. And you send us, who have come to know you, into their lives. God bless us as we study the book of Jonah. Because I am so reluctant. God help me overcome my reluctance for Jesus. We ask and we pray it in Christ's name. And the people of God said together, Amen. Amen.